Hey, welcome into the Teal Shirt Report podcast, episode show number 10. I want to first of all thank everybody for listening to episode show number nine. We had a we had a lot of listens and a lot of people tuning in. I guess in the old radio days you'd say people were tuning in, and now you're saying in podcast terms, it's listens, right? We're still listened to in as many as 39 states across the United States. We're we're everywhere worldwide. It seems like Northern Ireland's always been one of our top areas. Uh, Canada, Bangladesh, uh, the Philippines, France, Germany, Australia, Puerto Rico, Canada. And of course, our biggest areas, obviously, our biggest area is Florida. Because, you know, you know, we've been listened to in as many as probably 30 to 40 approximately 30 to 40 cities across Florida, big cities, small cities, in between medium-sized cities. And we do appreciate, we do really appreciate you guys uh, tuning in to the Teal Shirt Report podcast. It's a different, it's a different era. You know, I started in terrestrial radio way back when. I started as a radio intern. Back about 1979, when I was still going to high school. And I also worked for a guy that just a few years ago, people were calling him, and he, he passed away a number of years ago, Jay Solomon. And a lot of people kind of refer, some people refer to him as the godfather of sports radio in Jacksonville. Jay Solomon was around before there was ever a sports radio or sports talk radio. Um, Jay was doing it on terrestrial stations that were other formats. They might be a news station, might be a music station, but he was doing his, you know, his, uh, you know, basically his sports cast, his talk shows. Um, Jay did a great show way back in the day, the college football scoreboard. Everybody knows about Dave Dials and ABC way back in probably the 1970s where you got your scores on ABC. Well, Jay did it locally. And there was a certain formula toward doing it because I produced Jay's show, I believe, for a couple of years. And then when I made the move to WEXI as sports director over there, I did a show, too, very similar to Jay's. And I actually competed uh, with Jay. I, you know, I learned a lot from Jay. And what I learned from him, I you know took other places. You... So, you know, when you work for other people, and I had at least three really good bosses back in the day in radio. Jay Solomon, the late Jay Solomon, the late Richard Langloy over at WJX. Jay Solomon was at JX as well back in the early days. And we worked for a guy at 94Q named um, Mr. Kerry Hegler. Kerry is still living, at least today, as I, as I know of. Kerry's had some, some health issues, but we've certainly kept him in our thoughts and prayers. But Kerry's retired now. And I guess we're all going to retire at some 
you know, time and space at some time or another, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But you kind of take the good from what you learn from people. If there's any bad, you kind of throw it out. It's it's all opinionated. You know, it's all your opinion. And I will tell you, the top three bosses I had in the broadcast industry, there was not much bad at all. I mean, there might have been some comical stuff and things of that nature. But, man, I had three really good bosses. And there was a fourth guy that was pretty good, maybe not in the top three. but. You know, this, you know, the terrestrial radio thing, I mean, I, I, I love doing, I mean, we, uh, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I did um, terrestrial radio for, my goodness, I was trying to count up the years the other day, but I'm going to say it just like this. It was well over 20, 25 years at a number of stations. I could name them off, WJX, WEXI, 94Q, WDSR. Um. WLKC up in Georgia, and then we ran a station up in Western Georgia. We've been at numerous stations over, you know, a period of about over over 20, 25 years. Then we started the website, bigjreport.com, which you can check out anytime you want, 24-7. And then we started doing this podcast back in mid-January of 2020. We are listened to in as many as 39 states internationally. We got a lot of listeners everywhere. I think Northern Ireland was probably our top spot internationally. Although there's, you know, there's good listenership up in Canada. We're, and we're talking internationally now. Canada, the Philippines, Bangladesh. Um, I think, you know, I went through South Korea when I was on the way to the Philippines. I think we had some listeners in South Korea. We, we had listeners everywhere. It's been amazing. Uh, Germany, Australia, England, the UK. Um, Andy Powers, a good listener to us in the UK, Wales area, as I understand it. But we're on in as many as 39 states. Florida, really the big state, with uh, we're listen, we've been listened to by somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 cities, big cities, medium-sized cities, small cities throughout Florida. And we're listened to in Georgia. Alabama, Texas, got a lot of listeners in New York, believe it or not, including comedian Miller Mark up there. And we appreciate all of you guys tuning in. And, you know, every once in a while we'll check the stats and another state will pop up. But it's we've been listened to in at least 39 states plus, and they're not a state, but plus the District of Columbia, where a lot goes on, as you know, up in D.C. So... We're moving into episode show number 10. The guys I worked for back in the day, great guys. The late Jay Solomon, the late Richard Langloy. Um, and I'll throw Mr. Kerry Hegler. He's still around with us, which is a, which is a good thing. I worked for Kerry Hegler over at uh, 94Q in, uh, North, in, in North Florida. So... And then we ran a station up in Western Georgia for a long time, pretty close to 20 years or so, and uh, did high school football up there. And man, I tell you, I don't think I change anything. Um, we're going to take a look at episode show number 10. Um, hope you enjoyed episode number nine. And again, we want to, I think this is the second time maybe we've done this already on this episode, but we want to thank everyone that tuned in to episode show number nine. We had fun putting that episode together. 
And the great thing is, when I check the stats, and we don't check them constantly, but when I check the stats, I said, man, we got a lot of listens. Back in the day, it was listeners in terrestrial radio. Now it's, you know, individual listens, but we had a lot of them. And um, at times, at times, we maybe get more listeners to the podcast than we did back in some of the stations in terrestrial radio. So it's episode show number 10. We were thinking about number 10s out there. I tell you, a guy that was a big number 10 for the Jacksonville Jaguars was kicker Josh Scobie. I understand he's a good golfer, somebody had told me. Um, a few years ago, I went to a – I had bought a ticket. Bought a ticket to a Jaguars game or somebody showed me a ticket or something because I, I, I've been to many games off and on over the years. But uh, there was a ticket stub that had a picture of Josh Scobie, and it was like a highlight from when he beat the Giants. I think it was a 56-yard field goal. And his picture and the moment was captured on a ticket back when they had hard tickets. Now I don't even think they have hard tickets. I wish I had that hard ticket somewhere because quite cool. They had it. They had actually had it printed on a ticket, and that might have been that might have been somewhere, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years ago. At one of the games I went to, it was a you know like a Jaguars memory, 56-yard field goal, but Josh Scobie beats the New York Giants many, many years ago. He was a great kicker, and he wore number 10. I was told by John Gaylor that uh, number 10 is also worn by a guy that's really a pretty good kicker, too. I don't know that I would put this guy because there's not been a lot of longevity with Brandon McManus yet. You know, he was with Denver for a long time. So he's a solid veteran kicker. I don't think he's perfect. Obviously, he's he's missed some kicks. I'm pretty sure, according to Gaylor, he wears number 10 as well. And sometimes, um, honestly, I remember numbers over the years. You know, Larry Zonka wore 39 and Jim Kick, you know, what did Jim Kick wear? 21, and Murphy Morris, I think, wore 22. Um, and McManus, let's take a look at his number real quick, because Gaylor told me 10, and I believe John Gaylor, but sometimes I like to see the jersey. Um, let me take a look. Let's see if I can find him. There we go. There's a McManus photo. Yep, and he's sure enough. Sure enough, as they say in the uh, – some parts of the South, he wears number 10, Brandon McManus. And he's been a good kicker for the Jaguars. You know, he's missed a kick here and there, which uh, whenever you miss a kick, it's it's obviously disappointing, not only for the kicker especially, but for the team, the fan base. Man, kicks can be amazingly enough kicks. One kick can be so important to a game, whether you win it, lose it, uh, tie it up to go into overtime. Buffalo missed a field goal against Kansas City. Many, many years earlier, they missed a field goal in a Super Bowl wide right. This one, incidentally for Buffalo, went to the right too, and it wasn't kicked very well. Seemed like it had the distance, but it was topped or hit, just kind of hit wrong and uh, went to the right. And my executive producer, J.C., said the current Buffalo kicker, I can't think of his name, but uh, but the one that made the kick in the playoffs in January of 2024, J.C., 
JC said, hey, they're paying him a lot of money. And some kickers have made a lot of money. McManus is making a good chunk of change. Lambo, when he was in Jacksonville, made some money. And and um, so the number 10s, Brandon McManus, Josh Scobie back in the day was one of the best kickers the Jaguars ever had. I told you about the memory of him kicking the 56-yard field goal to beat the New York Giants. Um, who else we got at number 10? Dante Moncrief. No, no, no. He was never a star with the Jaguars, but he spent a long time in the NFL. War number 10 back in 2018, and it was a nightmarish year. This was the year the Jaguars probably, you can't blame it all on Moncrief, but Moncrief did not have that great a year. He might have had a handful of, might have had a half dozen touchdown catches or less. Not a good year. They were expecting more out of him. It was a one-year deal, and then he moved on to another team after that. I think he went to Pittsburgh after he left Jacksonville. But Dante Moncrief, surprisingly enough to me, when I looked it up, Dante Moncrief um, actually Dante Moncrief actually played, played for a number of teams before Jacksonville, played for a number of teams after the Jacksonville Jaguars as well. Dante Moncrief wore number 10 the one year in Jacksonville in 2018, which was a nightmarish year. It was the year after the Jaguars lost to the Patriots in the AFC title game back in the season of 2017, where the Jaguars had really a tremendous defense. Uh, Blake Bortles was still the quarterback, and Blake Bortles was 2-1 and one in the playoffs that year, beat Pittsburgh, and uh, won the game previous to that as well. I can't think of who that second team was the Jags beat, but the Jags, but Blake Bortles was 2-1 and one in the playoffs, brother Bortles. Then he lost to New England. New England got caught one, got called for one penalty for 10 yards that game. Miles Jack wasn't down. And I'll tell you, Miles Jack wasn't down was a, a big thing that came out of that game, but it was not the most glaring call. The ignored holding penalties on the Patriots, uh, a couple of pass interference calls that I think went pretty much the wrong way. And it was a lot of things. And the Patriots only get called for one penalty for 10 yards. I tell people that story when I come into contact with Jaguars fans, and they said, man, they only got called one penalty for 10 yards back in that AFC title game. The Patriots, one penalty for 10 yards. So we'll put that in the rear view as we've often as we've often had to. We're saluting Josh Scobie, number 10. We'll salute the current Jaguars kicker, Brandon McManus, number 10. Not so much saluting Dante Moncrief, kind of remembering somewhat of what could have been better than it was, and maybe even a bad memory. Dante Moncrief, number 10, played for the Jaguars back in 2018. What really cemented uh, my disappointment with Dante Moncrief was one time he was going across the middle back in the 2018 season. And this was a season where the Jaguars actually beat the Patriots in the regular season, dismantled the Jets, and the Jags are three and one. Brother Bortles is like a like a superstar over at Mellow Mushroom in Avondale. Clayus Campbell's over there. I saw both of them over there. And they were three and one, thinking, man, we're going all the way. And then injuries hit. The season pretty much collapsed throughout that year of 2018. It was the most injury 
plague season, in my opinion, the Jaguars ever had. Dante Moncrief goes across the middle on a play somewhere in the middle of the season. And, man, he's worried about getting hit. I think Dante was seeing Ghost going across the field. He did not want to take that hit going across the middle. He was in Jacksonville for the money. And a lot of players are. Got to re-sign Josh Allen. Could Josh Allen get franchise tagged? We'll talk more about that in coming podcast, and we'll kind of see what happens as uh, the Teal Shirt Report podcast continues over the next, you know, few days, next few months. We're putting a lot of podcasts together. This is already show number 10, episode show number 10 of 2024. We're recording this podcast on February 17th. Uh, this Saturday, February the 17th. Can can the Jaguars get to the Super Bowl within the next two years? I'm, I'm kind of compiling a list of questions and answers to that question, because obviously if you ask that question immediately, you're going to say, well, they're going to, this is going to have to happen. And we're going to question, can they do this? Will this happen? So there's going to be not only the big question, can the Jaguars get to the Super Bowl within the next two years? What will it take? What will have to happen? And if there's questions inside of this big question, smaller questions which add up to the sum of the big question, what are the answers to those questions? So I can give you some of the answers, some of my opinions. In the Facebook group, BigJReport.com Facebook group, we put a post in there. Basically, the same thing I'm reading to you. Can the Jaguars get to the Super Bowl within the next two years? So we're getting some answers in there. Again, congratulations. Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl, so we'll congratulate the Chiefs. And, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and, and all those players, Pacheco, and the defense played well. It was The game was knotted up 19-19 to in regulation. San Francisco had a 10-0 lead. In the second quarter at one time in that game, Chiefs kicked a field goal right before halftime, and it was on. It was a good football game. It was a good game. I think Andy Reid, the Chiefs DBs, and Patrick Mahomes, the three guys I told you, the three people I told you about, two people and then the position group of the Kansas City defensive backs, I think – I think Andy Reid was a difference. Patrick Mahomes was obviously a difference. Fourth down and one, he converts it in overtime when the Chiefs are trailing by three points, but both teams get a shot to possess the ball. So, amazingly, Kansas City wins the Super Bowl. Sadly, the Super Bowl parade had a a guy that, you know, a shooter that wanted, that obviously wanted some attention. And sadly, there was a person killed and people injured as these shootings uh, happened. And I heard about the Super Bowl parade, which was, what, a couple of days after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Kansas City 25, San Francisco 22 final in overtime. Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl in, in February of 2024. They're the Super Bowl champions of the season 2023. Yes, we're brought to you by a lot of good folks, uh, Saucerility and Capital. I think Larry even chimed in on, uh, can the Jaguars make the Super Bowl within two years? We'll get to some of those comments coming up. But, hey, for your real estate needs, remember Saucerility and Capital. 
for your real estate needs, whether it's home, residential, business, or commercial real estate. Larry and his company, you know, Saucer Realty and Capital and uh, Saucer Valuations at Saucer Realty and Capital and Saucer Valuations, they can, you know, evaluate property. They can appraise property. Larry has vast experience in property appraising. I can I can tell you that for a fact. And he's a good guy. He's a trustworthy guy. Uh, Larry Saucer with Saucer Realty and Capital for your real estate needs. The uh, By the way, the link for Saucer Realty and Capital, because Larry and Saucer Realty and Capital have a website. You go to our homepage near our 24-7 North Florida weather information, and you will absolutely... Find the link for Saucer Realty and Capital right there in the middle of the weather or toward the end of the weather report. That's Saucer Realty and Capital. Been a sponsor of uh, BigJReport.com since the beginning. And now, of course, with our Teal Shirt Report podcast, we've been doing since mid-January of 2020. I want to thank Lake Uvala Hits. LakeUvalaHits.com. Great internet radio where it's all good. JC's doing a show over there on Thursday nights, a live music show with your request. Listen in. Um, That is, uh, JC does it live from his pub, inside the pub at LakeUfallahits.com. LakeUfallahits.com. Great internet radio where it's all good. You'll find links to LakeUfallahits.com. And JC's show is on Thursday nights. 6 o'clock Central, 7 o'clock Eastern. They have Rock Saturdays. And after JC's show, they have Hits 2000s. And that's most most every every night during the week at LakeUfallahits.com. Great internet radio. If you go to the website, LakeUfallahits.com, uh, you'll see an arrow at the top of the website where you can listen uh, to LakeUfallahits.com. Great internet radio where it's all good, and you can listen to JC's show live from the pub. You can hear JC's live show live from the pub on Thursday nights. Also, don't forget about the Mad Max Mix, Weebly.com. I think we're going to be on Max's show as a guest on an interview uh, coming up the next Wednesday. We're usually on Max's show maybe once or twice a month. And Max Max has a great show on Wednesday nights. He really does. Classic rock, music, pop, classics. And that's with, of course, Mad Max Mix, the Mad Max Mix, madmaxmix.weebly.com. Now, I told you about the madmaxmix.weebly.com. It's Wednesday night, lakeyfallahits.com. Great internet radio where it's all good. And JC's show live Thursday nights from the pub, 6 o'clock. Central Time, 7 o'clock Eastern Time. For the madmaxmix.weebly.com and also for the other entity, lakeufallahits.com, go to our website, the Neighbors 2 section. You'll find links for both of these, you know, really good internet radio entities. Max's show on uh, Wednesday night, the Mad Max Mix. By the way, the uh, madmaxmix.weebly.com, they have music and programming. 24-7, just like LakeUfallahits.com, great internet radio system. Good music. If you've been looking for good internet radio stations, you got LakeUfallahits.com and the MadMaxMix.Weebly.com. Mad Max's show is on Wednesday night. Also at LakeUfallahits.com, great internet radio. JC's doing a live show on Thursday nights. Uh, 
and we've actually advertised um, Mad Max's show and also JC's show live from the pub on Thursday nights. We've advertised it in the BigJReport.com Facebook group and also on our website at BigJReport.com. You'll find links to the MadMaxMix.Weebly.com and LakeYouFallahits.com, great internet radio where it's all good. Uh, you'll find uh, links to both those internet radio entities in the Neighbors 2 section near the concert area. Just hit BigJReport.com, scroll the Neighbors 2 page. There's also an article about Mad Max's show and a link in the outside the box section at BigJReport.com as well. So those are some of our sponsors of the Teal Shirt Report podcast. We appreciate all of you guys tuning in. Uh, to our podcast. We saluted the number 10 here on episode show number 10. We saluted Josh Scobie, former Jaguars kicker, once kicked a 56-yard game-winning field goal over the New York Giants many, many moons ago. We want to salute the current kicker of the Jaguars, Brandon McManus, who now wears number 10 for the Jaguars. Dante Moncrief wore it Gosh, it's been over five years ago, back in 2018. Not the best season. Dante Moncrief came and took the money. Kind of was a little a little wincy or a little skittish about going across the middle on one particular play I saw. But he wore number 10, played for the Jaguars for one year in 2018. Dante Moncrief was on the Colts. When he left Jacksonville, I believe he went to the Steelers. He was on numerous teams in uh, his career now. He's a former National Football League wide receiver, so his career has come to an end. But he played a long time in the league, and he played enough years where he'll get that NFL retirement, as we do talk about from time to time. Can the Jaguars get to the Super Bowl within the next two years? My answer is yes. Will it happen? Well, nothing is 100% certain. That's why... Vegas takes bets, right? And they have a line and they try to, they want to, they want to set a point spread where they don't lose and Vegas makes the juice. And then you got winners and losers. However, as far as the Jaguars getting to the Super Bowl, that's been a question. A lot of people ask me to say, Hey, will the Jaguars ever make it to the Super Bowl? I'm not even talking about winning the Super Bowl. Let's get to the Super Bowl, which means the Jaguars would win that Lamar Hunt trophy and an AFC title, which they've been to three of the AFC championship games. And by the way, Tom Coughlin was involved with the Jaguars in all three of their AFC title games, whether it was a coach slash GM in the first two or the executive vice president of operations uh, back in 2017, in January of 2018, when they made it to the AFC title game before before losing to a Patriots team that was penalized one penalty per 10 yards. Is that sour grapes to say that? I, I don't think so. I mean, I'm watching the game. And if you feel like the Jaguars got hosed in that game, not everybody does, but I'm watching the game. I even watch some of the plays after the game. And if you're a Jaguars fan, you couldn't be happy with the officiating in that one. And even Tom Brady getting patted on the shoulder by the official as the clock is winding out at the end of that game. I'm going to tell it like it is. That's how I felt 
but I'm one of the biggest Jaguars fans out there. I, I, you know, I can't say I'm the biggest. I host a show. I've been in the media for, for numerous years. So it's a little different from my angle, but man, I kind of live and die with my city and my team. And you all know that phrase, Duval till we, till we die, right? Can the Jaguars go, or I should say, can the Jaguars get to the Super Bowl within the next two years? Now, that question is not, will they win a Super Bowl? That question is, can the Jaguars get to the Super Bowl within the next two years? Now, offensively, here's some things that have got to happen. Jaguars have got to immediately upgrade and improve the O-line, the offensive line. Quarterback has to stay healthy, and part of him staying healthy is getting the O-line intact and improving the offensive line for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, also, the running game. There's rain in the forecast. I put the word, you know, when, when I'm writing down my notes, I put rain down instead of running. But the run, the run I'm thinking about this rain. We got clouds this weekend at about a 60% chance of rain in Duval. Some areas in North Florida, 60 to 90% chance of rain uh, this weekend, today on February 17th and also tomorrow on February 18th. But again, going back to what I was saying, the Jaguars have got to upgrade and improve the O-line. Quarterback has got to stay healthy. That kind of runs in unison with fixing and improving and making it basically just making the O-line better, which I I think grabbing a guy early in the draft that you're comfortable with. And I know some people say, including John Gaylor, do you trust general manager Trent Baalke to make these picks? Let's hope he doesn't get enamored with (laughs) with a guy at the combine that plays cornerback or, um, the Jaguar, who was it, Gene Smith, that drafted um, uh, the punter many years ago, Brian Anger? But he was a third-round pick, not a first-round pick. But third-round third round pick for punter. And the Jaguars have a punter now that's very, very good. And he was taken in the seventh round by Dave Codwell probably about five years ago. And he's turned out to be a really, really good punter. And I believe, I believe um, he's on his second contract with the Jags, I believe because he's passed the rookie deal. He's been with the Jags at least five years now. Uh, Punter punter number nine, Logan Cook, who we we actually highlighted and honored on our episode show number nine podcast. So the Jaguars got to upgrade and improve the O-line. Quarterback Trevor Lawrence has to stay healthy. Running game has to be clicking too, and that kind of runs in concert with improving the offensive line. And the Jags need to find a number one wide receiver. I'm saying you go draft. You find that guy in the first or second round in the draft. You're not going to – I don't think the Jaguars are going to re-sign Calvin Ridley. I could be wrong. They could re-sign him. I think there's a part of Trent Baalke that wants him back. There's a part of Trent Baalke that doesn't want the big contract number against the salary cap. A lot of people said Ridley, man, he was a little underweight. Jags need to go to the draft, get a fast – tall, big wide receiver that can be a potential number one. That is my opinion. So the Jags need to find a potential number one wide receiver in the draft, whether it's first or second round. 
Um, there's a lot of offensive linemen in the draft. So you, you might see the Jags draft an offensive lineman in the first round, and then you may see an offensive lineman somewhere between the third and fifth round as well. I don't think the defensive players need to really be, be drafted until at least the third round. Jags need some maybe a couple of defensive tackles, but I, I think free agency would be the route to go there. But if you can find a guy that will come in and is hungry, wants to prove himself, he's coming off a rookie deal somewhere, or even a veteran guy, even more so a veteran guy that, you know, actually can give you some leadership because the Jaguars have a lot of young players on defense. Um, you know, the last DC, I, I think he was overthinking it a lot with a scheme that was kind of too hybrid for the talent and youth of the players maybe that are on the roster. Enter the new DC, Ryan Nielsen from the Atlanta Falcons. I listened to the guy at the press conference. He wants to go to more of an attacking style of defense. I've watched him teaching players when he was the defensive coordinator uh, for the Atlanta Falcons. And he's teaching he's teaching pad-level fundamentals. And he wants to be an attacking defense. I like what I hear so far out of the new defensive coordinator, Ryan Nielsen. We got more of the Teal Shirt Report podcast coming up. You're listening to episode show number 10 of the Teal Shirt Report podcast. Hey, thank you for listening. Okay, have you, have you ever done something and you think, man, I forgot something, but I can't remember what it was? Well, sure, certainly I've been there. Maybe I forgot to get the coffee creamer, the coffee in the store. That's kind of rare, but that does happen happen occasionally. However, I wanted to salute on this podcast, and we meant to do it a little bit earlier. We, we don't want to forget the guy. Number nine, David Garrard, who had led the Jaguars to some playoff appearances in his time as being number nine. We missed him on episode show number nine, so I wanted – to give him his due. Hopefully next year when episode nine comes around, we'll get David Garrard within episode nine. But I wanted to salute David Garrard, number nine on episode 10. The guys we are saluting also kicker. It looked like a lot of kickers like to wear number 10. Josh Scobie wore number 10 back in the day, was a great kicker for the Jaguars. Number 10 now is Brandon McManus, who made some good kicks, some big kicks, and might have missed a kick or two at difficult times as well. Brandon McManus now currently wearing number 10 for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Dante Moncrief wore number 10 back in 2018. Been over five years now. Had a, His season was not that great. He, you know, we'll have to pull up the stats on Dante at some point in time and look at it. But his, you know, his stats were really not that good uh, with the Jaguars. Didn't, wasn't, it wasn't really, um, you know, I'm taking a look at the team's Don, Mr. Dante. I'll, I'll, I'll use the term loosely here, Mr. Dante Moncrief. Um, let's take a look at when he played. He played for the Texans back in 2021. The guy made the rounds, didn't he? Um, that was. It looks like that may have been the last team he was with. The Houston Texans in 2021. Bill Belichick gave him a shot in 2020. Uh, he played for the Carolina Panthers in 2019. Man, you might as well have called Dante. Dante Suitcase Moncrief. Man, he played for Houston, Houston Texans in 2021, Patriots in 2020, New York Jets in 2020. He played, a, played for a couple teams in 2020. 
Carolina Panthers. Where was that going? 2019, Pittsburgh Steelers in uh, 2019 after he left the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2018. Maybe his best years were, you know, his really his rookie his rookie time in his career from 2014 to 2017 with the Indianapolis Colts. That perhaps may have been his most successful time. Um, when you take a look at Dante Moncrief and the stats um, with the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'm not going to take a look at stats from, you know, from other teams, but he was paid a good, it wasn't loose change. He was paid a good chunk of money as a free agent with the Jacksonville Jaguars back in 2018. Okay. Here's the numbers worse than I thought. 48 catches, 668 yards for 13.9 yard per catch average. How about how about these apples? Three touchdowns for Dante catching the football with the Jaguars, right? Um, he had four touchdown catches with the Steelers in 2019. One touchdown grab with the Patriots in 2020. It seemed like he just kind of went downhill. Now, I mentioned this to Gaylor, I believe, in a message. And uh, or I, I was thinking I did, but the reason why I want to see the Jaguars draft a wide receiver high in the draft in the first or second round, and and you know it's all and the draft is a crapshoot, you know that right. However, running backs and wide receivers, unless you're Jerry Rice and you train, you, you basically run up a mountain all offseason long and train and train and train. Jerry Rice was one of those wide receivers. I, I think he played till he was almost 40 years old. Maybe the last team he played for was Seattle, but he won Super Bowls with the San Francisco 49ers, obviously, and Jerry Rice may go down as the greatest wide receiver of all time in the National Football League. Played till I think he was almost 40. He trained in the offseason to make himself better and to stay in shape. However, the majority of the running backs, I'm going to say uh, Jerry Rice was the exception to the rule. Frank Gore, as a running back, played a long, long time. He was the exception to the rule. I think you got to get a young guy, a tall guy, good-sized guy. You know, Mike Evans, you see him at Tampa Bay. He's had a really, really good career. He's a big guy, fast, strong. All of these qualities is what the Jaguars need to find in the first or second round of a guy they draft. I think the Jags need an interior offensive lineman, probably in the first round, draft and make it be shrewd in the second round. If you're going to grab the wide receiver in the second round, be shrewd. And, of course, if you have a second-round pick, it means you haven't re-signed Calvin Ridley which I don't have a problem with that, really. He wore number zero, and there were games when I saw somebody wearing the zero jersey, and I said, that's about what that's about what Ridley did today, zero. And some of those games he did not do well. Some people said he was a little bit underweight. Maybe so. But he's played a lot of games. If he's not with the Jaguars, his next team, he's got to really step up his game if he's going to hang around in the NFL. He's looking for a big contract. I think Ridley might still be a guy that goes somewhere. May, he may need a one-year prove-it deal, even though he got 1,000 yards receiving with the Jaguars when probably should have been 1,500 yards maybe. Maybe. 
So that's some of what's going on. College baseball is underway. Always loved college baseball. My dad loved the Florida Gators. College ba- he loved college baseball. It's kind of funny when, you know, if ever Florida State went to the College Baseball World Series, my dad was not a Florida State fan, but he would he would keep up with Florida State when they went to the College Baseball World Series. He would. Uh, St. John's uh, beat Florida 9-5 to in the very first college baseball game for the Gators. A little disappointing, but, hey, the Gators may get on a winning streak after that 9-5 to loss to St. John's to open the college baseball season up. College baseball underway now, Florida 0-1. As we talk on Saturday morning, uh, February the 17th, JU Dolphins are actually off to a 2-0 start, and they got a little bit of a different team, maybe less power. Maybe they're going to manufacture more runs in 2024. The JU Dolphins 2-0. So these, you know, Florida and JU playing early games now. JU wins 8-6 and 11-3 over the Cincinnati Bearcats in a doubleheader back on February the 16th of 2024. They open the season on Friday, February the 16th of 2024. JU, the JU Dolphins baseball team wins 8-6 and 11-3 over the Cincinnati Bearcats in their opening day of college baseball. A lot more college baseball is coming. College basketball, Florida plays Georgia. I believe that game's in Athens. Florida beat them in overtime the first time around, right? And, you know, as far as the second time around, let me take a look. Uh, Florida is 17-7 and in the SEC 7-4. and Georgia's 14-10 and overall and 4-7 and in the SEC. This game is in Athens, Georgia today as we record this podcast on February the 17th. So we may have that result on episode show number 10 on this podcast episode, or we'll have it at least on the next episode of the Teal Shirt Report podcast. It's a one o'clock tip. Looks like it's on the SEC network. And uh, this is a big game for Florida, big game for Georgia. It's always, you know, it's always huge when Florida plays Georgia in any sport, whether it's football, which is huge. Basketball games is a big rivalry. Heck, you got Mike White, the former Florida Gator coach, is the head basketball coach at Georgia now. Florida 17 and 7 overall in the SEC 7 and 4. Um, Georgia probably needs this one more, but you know, Florida's trying to get to 20 wins. And I believe there's still seven conference games left, including this one. So to get to 20 wins, Florida. They got to win three, at least three out of their last seven conference games. If they do, they're ten and eight, where I kind of thought they would be. Some of the talking heads on ESPN was saying something about Florida would win thirteen or fourteen conference games. That was, that might have been a little much, but Florida has gotten on a hot streak of late in the SEC. Um, Coach Todd Golden in his second year has found something in the last five or six games. I'll say that. Florida seventeen and seven and seven and four in the SEC again. Florida seventeen and seven overall and seven and four in SEC play. While Georgia's fourteen and ten and four and seven in the SEC. And this is Coach Mike White's second year, and it's Coach Todd Golden's second year. First time around in Gainesville, Florida. That seems to be a tough place for the opponents to come in and play the Florida Gators. And Georgia had a shot. I mean, they Georgia was trailing by 13 points at halftime. Then Georgia outscores Florida 
by 13 points in the second half. Florida really must have gone ice cold shooting the game because I shooting in the second half, I should say. They went ice cold in the second half and let Florida, uh, Georgia creep back into it, tie the game up. In overtime, a lot of points in the overtime. Florida scored 17 points in the overtime. What is the overtime now? Five minutes in college basketball? Florida outscored them, I think, 17-13. to 13. And Florida won the last meeting 102-98 to 98 in overtime. A lot of points in the last one in Gainesville. But this one on February the 17th is up in Georgia in Athens, Georgia. So college basketball, we keep you up to date with that too. On our website at BigJReport.com, our Facebook group at BigJReport.com Facebook group. So Florida, Georgia, that's a big one in college basketball. And, of course, we keep up with the SEC as well. A lot of teams doing well. When we get the Florida-Georgia final of the game up in Athens, we'll also touch on what some of the other teams are doing uh, in the SEC. College football around the corner. And uh, I think it was John Bass in our Facebook group put up put a post in there about when all the SEC teams actually started playing college football. Some started before 1900. I think Kentucky was playing college football back in the late 1800s. And I messaged John. I said, I'd like to see that schedule from, what was it, 18? It was like, it was like 1888 or 1886. Kentucky was one of the first teams to start playing college football. They were probably playing some club teams or what have you way, way back then. But we'll talk SEC football. You know, Texas and Oklahoma coming into the SEC in uh, the summer of 2024. So this will be their first season in the SEC. And a lot of people are are not really embracing Texas and Oklahoma coming into the SEC. But you're going to have to, if not embrace it, you have to at least accept it because at BigJReport.com and on the Teal Shirt Report podcast, we're still going to cover it. Um, I have issues with college football. You know, the players always wanted to get paid something. But it doesn't mean they had to get millions of dollars. And you got a star player on one end of the locker room making millions of dollars. And maybe the the offensive lineman on the, you know, in the locker just a few feet away, he's hardly making anything. So I, I don't know. And then the, the guy making the big dollars, he might transfer out of the school and show no loyalty to get to the next big NIL deal. That's some of the way I see it and some people I talk to see it. So we're going to talk college football. Um, we're always going to follow it. Alabama's got a new coach. They hired a coach from Washington. As you know, we've talked about that. He's won pretty much everywhere he's gone. DeVore or DeBoer, I believe. And um, by the way, that wide receiver, that potential free agent wide receiver, I know a couple of episodes back I may have mispronounced his name, but it's um, it's T. Higgins. And I think he'll be franchise tagged by the Bengals. So I, I don't think he's going to end up with the Jaguars either way. He's more of a second wide receiver. Uh, for the Bengals anyway. they got a couple of really good receivers, and they certainly want to keep them for their quarterback if they can get Joe Burrow healthy. And I'm talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. When you, you know, And Joe Burrow, when you talk about the SEC, he won a national championship at LSU. And uh, <laughs> that was an interesting year uh, for LSU. And, and, of course, their head coach had got, got 
expired, what, a couple of years after that. Um, it's what you've done for me lately. And Coach Billy Napier, if he loses a couple of games early, man, he's going to be on the hot seat quick for Florida. Kirby Smart still getting the four stars and five stars. Um, Alabama is still going to be extremely tough. I know Alabama, after after Nick Saban retired, I think Alabama might have had a couple of guys transfer out. That's just some things I heard maybe before and after Nick Nick Saban decided to retire. Alabama is still going to be as competitive as most as as they most ever were. You got Brian Kelly going into what year? Year three with LSU. So basically, a Brian Kelly, who we a lot of people laughed at when he first got to LSU and he tried to talk like he was Cajun and all that other stuff, and he kind of came off looking bad, so to speak. But he's a good coach. However, he's coming to a pretty premier premium league in the SEC. It's not like being an independent at Notre Dame or I guess Notre Dame was, you know, kind of a kind of kind of a somewhat of a charter, quote unquote charter or half charter member of the ACC because I think Notre Dame was playing about four, maybe around four ACC opponents. So they were kind of linked to the ACC, although they're still kind of officially independent, I suppose. So as I sip on this cup of coffee at Javalia, what is it? Javalia Gold Roast, the dark gold roast. Pretty good too, by the way, if you add a little creamer to it. Um, I, I just think when you talk about Brian Kelly, he's going to have LSU near the top of the conference, probably now close to every year. I think with the magnitude of how good the SEC is with the coaches, the players, the TV contracts and everything involved in it, it's going to be hard every year to stay at the top. You're going to see a team like LSU have a down year where they go 500 overall. Then maybe the next year or the year before that, they're going to be really, really good. That happens. For the Florida Gators, Coach Billy Napier cannot afford two losing seasons in a row, or he's probably going to be out. A losing season in 2024, Billy Napier cannot afford to go 5-7 and seven again and go bowless. No bowls. Can you believe that? No bowl last year for Florida. As many bowls as there are. Gosh, count them. I got to get... I got to get, John Gaylord knows exactly how many bowls there are, but man, there were a lot of them. I think in, I think after the 2023 college football season, after they started inviting teams to the bowl games, I'm saying, man, I'm looking at all these bowl games. Oh, that's all of them. That's a lot of them. And then all of a sudden, no, no, there's five more. Uh, when I was doing the college football bowl pool against the spread, and that is tough, that is tough to do pick those bowl games against the spread and some teams they got players that aren't going to play in the bowl game and yada 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 um college football certainly we're, we're going to cover it it's changed a lot conference realigning the nil deals the, i'll just call it the portal now kids used to transfer from one school to another but they used to have to sit out of here now they immediately go for the next deal the transfer portal heats up and it's hot. Are there any rules? What are the rules? I think I need to type into my browser transfer portal rules for college football and see what it says. Maybe you can do that for me or John Gaylor can. John Gaylor is a great supporter of our podcast. 
contributor, correspondent, John, we appreciate you uh, so much. So that's some of what's going on. We talked a little college football, a little college, college basketball. We'll talk more college basketball when we get that result in. It, you may hear it on this podcast or at least on episode show number 11. When that comes up, we're going to keep you up to date. Uh, mock drafts. We're going to look at some of them. You know, it was a mock draft. Was it Daniel Jeremiah, I believe, that said the Jags might draft a cornerback out of Toledo at 17? I didn't really care for that. Now there's another mock draft that's got uh, – I can't remember which one this was. Um, let me take a look here. There was – you know, there was an interesting mock draft I saw. I want to, want to give the folks that did this uh, mock draft, you know, obviously we're looking at the 2024 20, mock drafts. What a crazy playoff season, right? Playoffs. Um, and we looked at some mock drafts. There's a lot of them out there you can look at. Um. Let's take a look. We, um, man, there's even more popping up now about that. But there was one mock draft, and I, I just looked at it real quickly. Um, there was one mock draft I did see. I think it was, is it called the Walter Johnson draft or something like that? Um, Walter Johnson Sports. <laughs> Or something like that. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of mock drafts out there uh, going on. Um, there's going to be some trades. The Jaguars will probably pick at 17 unless there's some kind of trade. Most of the trades will be in the, with the higher picks, I think. Um, Sports Illustrated has one, but this was like the Walter Johnson draft. And if I got the name wrong i apologize um let's see if i can pull up sports illustrated's got one that ought to be pretty good right but the uh, i think it was the walter johnson or walter something uh mock draft had the jacksonville jaguars they mocked the jaguars in the first round at number 17 getting defensive tackle michael hall a junior out of ohio state I think that was what they call the Walter Johnson draft. Walter Johnson sports or something like that. Um, you get to playing around with these mock drafts. And, of course, you'll see what the teams drafting earlier will do. The Jaguars had a decent season. Not where they wanted to be at 9-8, and eight, but when you have a pretty – when you have a decent season or basically the Jaguars had what you would call a winning season, but they didn't win their division. They finished a game behind the Texans, which was purely – Absolutely disappointing. So I have to go through these mock drafts, and i got to find 17. Okay, here we go. Here's one. This is Sports Illustrated, I believe. Let me take a look here. This is one of the Sports Illustrated's mocks, one of the Sports Illustrated mock drafts. I don't even think they put out a magazine anymore. From what I had heard recently, that the Sports Illustrated magazine was going by the way of the board, so to speak. Um, there's always going to, you know, there's always going to be a call for those special antique, uh, sports illustrated 
Um, and let's see the draft I'm looking at now. Again, I told you about the the mock draft I saw that had the Jags taking in the first round at number 17. Uh, defensive tackle Michael Hall, a junior out of Ohio State. Um, I thought what was interesting, too, you know, you take a look at the Chicago Bears. If they don't make a trade, they got that pick from Carolina in their trade last year. They're going to take Caleb Williams, a quarterback, out of uh, USC, he's already come out and said he doesn't want to play for the Bears. And um, that I'm going to try to get these mock drafts all together in a moment. Uh, we'll be right back with more of the Teal Shirt Report podcast. Again, a first-round mock I did see had the Jaguars at number 17 taking Michael Hall, a defensive tackle out of Ohio State. Instead of getting a young guy there, I would, I think I would, I would rather – get a veteran through free agency, get one or two veteran defensive tackles through free agency because the Jaguars already have a lot of young players on their, their defense and now enter the new defensive coordinator, Ryan Nielsen from the Atlanta Falcons. And I know he's going to have some input with GM Trent Baalke and especially head coach uh, Doug Peterson, who hired the deep, the new defensive coordinator, Ryan Nielsen. We got more of the Teal Shirt Report podcast coming up. Stay tuned. Okay, we're, we're kind of having fun here on these, these mock drafts. Uh, during the last segment, which processed properly, I believe, uh, I looked up some more, did a little more research as we try to do on things happening. The... Um, it wasn't Walter Johnson football. It's Walter football. The Walter football mock draft. Check it out. Um, the Jags had been mocked in Walter football mock draft. Now, maybe these mock drafts change. Maybe maybe every couple of days they do a new one. I don't know. But Walter football mock draft um, recently had the Jaguars taking a cornerback at number 17. That would be Quinion Mitchell out of Toledo. Now – Taking a look at Sports Illustrated or one of the Sports Illustrated mocks, they got uh, the Colts liking Quinion Mitchell out of Toledo, the cornerback at number 15. And uh, in the Sports Illustrated, man, they love cornerbacks. The Sports Illustrated, uh, they say the Jags need a good one. Of course, they got they got Tyson Campbell, who's their number one cornerback, but he was hurt. He missed about, I think Tyson might have missed close to six games in 2023 due to injuries. Just got to get him healthy. He's a good player. So I don't – I think the Jags probably have enough defensive backs. I mean, you can always get a cornerback later in the draft. It's been proven. The Kansas City Chiefs got the running back Pacheco in the seventh round. Brock Purdy, who came close, very, very close to actually winning the Super Bowl this year. Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant. He was the very last pick in the seventh round. So if you draft right, there's guys throughout the draft you can find, right? Right. Um, that Walter football mock draft had the Colts, um, I'm sorry, had the Jaguars taking uh, Quinion Mitchell, the cornerback out of Toledo at 17. Now the Sports Illustrated draft have the, have the Colts taking cornerback Quinion Mitchell out of Toledo at number 15. So everybody likes Cornerback Quinion Mitchell out of Toledo. Now, if we kind of isolate and get away from the Walter football mock draft for a moment, and I, I 
found more interesting things, I think, in Sports Illustrated, in my opinion. What about this guy? Uh, Sports Illustrated is is mocking this guy. Let's see. Okay, Sports Illustrated. And I've looked at all the mock drafts. Well, Jaguars were mocked to take Michael Hall Jr. I'm sorry, Michael Hawley Jr. out of Ohio State as a defensive tackle in one of the mock drafts. Um, there's another draft out there. has got the Jaguars taking it, taking cool late. No, no, wait a minute now. No, no, that's not true. Let's, let's take a look. Um, L.A. Chargers in the Sports Illustrated draft are tied in with uh, perhaps tied in Brock Bowers out of Georgia at number five. Then I see a Kool-Aid played at Alabama, cornerback Kool-Aid um, McKinstry. Man, do you want a guy named Kool-Aid on your team? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's his name, Kool-Aid. I've got the word out. I got the word out with uh, the executive producer. I'm hoping to hear something because he follows Alabama very, very diligently. Um, I did ask him what his opinion is about Bama defensive back Kool-Aid McKinstry. I said, uh, JC, uh, what's your opinion? I mean, on Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid McKinstry. Now, JC is also a Buffalo Bills fan. You know, I think the Jaguars are his second team in the AFC, but he's also a Buffalo Bills fan first and foremost. And uh, J.C., the Buffalo Bills, apparently they don't pick till 28th, and they're linked in the Sports Illustrated mock draft to Brian Brian Thomas Jr., wide receiver out of LSU. Um, let's see, SI has uh, one of the Sports Illustrated mock drafts. I saw one where the Jaguars, looks like they were linked with uh, Michael Hall. Um, defensive tackle of Ohio State, and then looks like another one has Kool-Aid, a cornerback, Kool-Aid McKinstry, cornerback out of Alabama, perhaps the Jaguars, maybe grab him, but I hope not. I hope the Jags are going to go interior, be smart, go interior O-line or wide receiver with the first-round pick and do the opposite with the second round. So when you finish with, the first two or three rounds, you got to have a good, potentially number one, good size, big, fast, wide receiver, plus an interior offensive lineman, at least after the first three rounds of the draft, and particularly, hopefully, after the first two rounds. Um, Brock Bowers is linked to the Chargers. I remember our executive producer, JC, said if the Chargers don't take him at five, he could slide down the board a little bit, but probably not that much. So Brock Bowers is probably going to go between 5 and 12. Um, but the Chargers, their new coach, as you know, is Jim Harbaugh. And keep in mind, Jim Harbaugh likes those probably two tight end sets, maybe at times three tight ends if you can get a third one on the field, or at least two. So I think um, the leading candidate in the draft for the Chargers, the L.A. Chargers, would be tight end Brock Bowers out of Georgia at number 5. We'll review more of this. I do want to go up and uh, take a, a little longer look at the uh, Sports Illustrated. One of the Sports Illustrated mocks looked very interesting to me. 
I, I will correct myself. It's they're known as Walter Football. The Walter Football mock draft had the Jaguars actually taking um, defensive tackle Michael Hall. No, no, I'm sorry. They had the Jaguars taking the cornerback Quinion Mitchell out of Toledo. Sports Illustrated had the Jaguars taking Michael Hall Jr., the defensive tackle, out of Ohio State. And the Jaguars also linked with Kool-Aid McKinstry. But we'll cornerback at Alabama as well. But we'll pull up the mock draft. Let's, I'm going to take a look at this in further detail coming up on the Teal Shirt Report podcast. Okay, so what these these mock drafts really bear out to be is fruit that doesn't doesn't really ripen. In most cases, they're just names, positions, who may draft them, who may not. I saw Pro Football Focus. By the way, I did get a message back from our executive producer, JC, in regards to maybe we need to forget about Mr. Kool-Aid as a Jaguar. Maybe he's not even a first-round pick. But I remember the Jaguars one time, this might have been Tom Coughlin's worst pick because most of his picks have been pretty good, even though even even when I think Tom Coughlin had something to do with draft picks as executive vice president overruling and maybe coming in and saying, hey, we're getting this guy uh, when Dave Codwell was a GM because everything went through executive vice president Tom Coughlin when he was in that role with the Jaguars, you know, up until, you know, just a few years ago. Um, I asked JC, our executive producer, about Alabama defensive back Kool-Aid McKinstry. I said, uh, what's your opinion on Kool-Aid? Uh, the executive producer of the podcast, the Teal Shirt Report podcast, our executive producer, JC, said concerning Bama defensive back Kool-Aid McKinstry, JC said he's overrated. My board, he would be an early third rounder. A C-plus player gets beat a lot. Woo. Maybe the Jags need to stay away from him. And I don't even think the Jags need to draft a a cornerback or any type of defensive back in the first round anyway. I did find – I did actually find – a lot of people are familiar with pro football focus. I guess Chris Collinsworth is involved with with the PFF. I think he's one of the owners, primary owners of pro football focus – they put out mock drafts for each team, 2024 mock drafts. Now, when I look at the Jaguars mock draft from Pro Football Focus, I'm thinking, well, they got the Jaguars picking in round one at number 26. So there must have been some some trading back because the Jaguars got the 17th overall pick. Uh, let's take a look at who Pro Football Focus links to the Jaguars. Uh, Duke. Believe it or not, Duke, offensive tackle, offensive tackle, let's see, that would be tackle Graham Barton out of Duke, saying the Jaguars would grab him at number 26 after, I guess, trading back. Round two, uh, Troy Franklin, 
wide receiver out of Oregon in round two with the 58th overall selection. Uh, third round pick out of Penn State, Idessa Isaac, edge, I guess an edge rusher out of Penn State. I'm not really enamored with that. Cornerback out of Auburn, Nehemiah Pritchett, third rounder. And I guess what they're saying is the Jags will end up with two third rounders after trading back. That's interesting. Jags are also linked to Notre Dame uh, defensive player uh, Howard Cross at third out of Notre Dame. They're also linked to a safety out of Wake Forest. And, you know, the Jags will have to draft some defensive guys later in the draft. There'll be players like, you know, what was the guy's name, Daniel Thomas, that broke his forearm. I think he's coming off his last uh, year of his rookie contract with the Jaguars. And uh, that was the kid, fourth-year kid out of Auburn, probably won't be back. So you're going to have to get another safety. Jaguars are linked to Malik Mustafa at a Wake Forest. He would be a fourth-round pick. Looks like the Jags are getting extra picks. Must have traded back in round one. Um, Nehemiah Pritchett, cornerback out of Auburn. D.I., that's got to be what? Like a defensive line player, Howard Cross the third out of Notre Dame. Uh, Pro Football Focus really didn't like the pick saying it's a C minus, but how do they know who Balky's going to pick, right? Safety out of Wake Forest, Malik Mustafa. Edge rusher, Jalen Harrell out of Michigan in the fifth round. So that's some of the, you know, at least through the fifth round uh, for the Jaguars. Um, you take a look at these teams that draft really well. Kansas City Chiefs have drafted well. Um, you know, New England used to get late picks in the draft when they won Super Bowls, and they normally drafted pretty well in most cases until probably the latter years when Bill Belichick was a Patriots coach. As he's not the head coach of the Patriots anymore. Um, what I would prefer to do is bring up a mock draft in 2024 that would give us the top players. I mean, um, the um, – the PFF deal there was blinking, you know, a handful of players to the Jaguars who they may draft, you know, in the first five rounds of the draft, kind of insinuated they were they were going to trade back and get an extra draft pick, I believe, what, in the third round there. But when you talk about the NFL mock draft and you want to take a look at the best players, you're obviously going to take a look, you know, at the first round. Boy, those are some crazy playoff scores, weren't they? San Francisco came from behind to beat Detroit 34-31. Chiefs beat the Bills 27-24. Chiefs defensive backs played really, really well on that last drive when Buffalo was coming down the field. They couldn't score a touchdown. Had to settle for the tying field goal, and they missed it. Um, Chiefs beat the Ravens 17-10. Those chief defensive backs were tough on Lamar Jackson. Uh, then the Chiefs beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Kansas City Chiefs 25, the San Francisco 49ers 22 in overtime to win the Super Bowl. We did take a look at the Walter football uh, mock draft. Man, there's a bunch of mock drafts out there. Um, NFL.com's got a draft. The draft wire. Uh, then there's 
Dan Parr's mock draft. Uh, I have never been one to want to do a mock draft. Everybody wants to do a mock draft. It's never really interested me to sit down and say, okay, well, what, what, where my interest has lied with the draft has been, who are the Jaguars going to take in the first couple of rounds? And then the guys after that are kind of a crapshoot, unless you can find, you know, a diamond in the rough, like the Chiefs get running back Pacheco in the seventh round. That's, that's a very good diamond in the rough there. Same thing with Brock Purdy. You look at Brock Purdy on the surface, you look at the guy, and he's not that big a guy. But he's, what would you say, a game manager, right? So I'm going to pull up this draft, the Don Parr 2024 NFL Mock Draft 1.0. So no telling when this thing came out, but it is a 2024 Mock Draft. They got Caleb Williams out of USC with the Chicago Bears linked to them, although Caleb Williams says, I guess it's some posturing. He says he doesn't want to play for Chicago. Uh, maybe the Bears trade out of that pick, uh, perhaps. You know, I've seen people throwing stuff up on social media. Oh, Caleb Williams is going to be a bust. You know, I would lean more toward bust than star. But how much maybe there's a 40% chance he becomes a really big NFL star? Maybe it's more than that. So this mock draft has the Bears taking Caleb Williams, number one overall, Washington Commanders at number two, taking Drake Mayo. And this is a chance for me to me to learn actually who the top guys are in the first round. It's, you know, the, the pro football, you know, the PFF pro football focus. That's kind of cool to see some names linked with the Jaguars. But in reality, out of all those names I mentioned, the Jags might end up with one or two of those guys, maybe. Uh, Drake Mayo, number two overall, or is that Drake May, M-A-Y-E? And he is actually, wow, uh, he is actually, if the, if the commanders miss out on Caleb Williams, um, they get this guy. This guy's a quarterback, right? Sophomore out of North Carolina. Wow, that's got Trubisky kind of written over that one, right? Trubisky got released by the Steelers, but he'll end up somewhere, I'm sure. So the Washington Commanders are going to take Drake May. Is that his name? M-A-Y-E. I'm not that familiar with the North Carolina quarterback. At number three, the Patriots, who basically are rebuilding. They got a new coach. It says they're going to take Marvin Harrison Jr. all day long with the third pick. Um, There's rumors the Patriots could trade for Justin Fields and start a new era. And again, this this mock draft I'm looking at right now, this is actually, and I I know I've thrown a lot of mock drafts and a lot of players at you on this podcast, episode show number 10 of the Teal Shirt Report podcast, episode show number 10 of season number five. Um, And this is actually, just to repeat, tied in Brock Bowers and the other, the earlier Sports Illustrated mock draft had him going to five, had him going five overall to the Chargers. Let's see where this one lands. Different players. Uh, Drake May, quarterback out of North Carolina at number two. Patriots grab Marvin Harrison Jr. at number three. Maybe the Bears trade out of that pick, or maybe the Bears even don't even pick a quarterback with the first pick. There's a lot of scenarios, but you got to look at the value of the player, and that's why most of the mock drafts are saying if the Bears keep that pick, they're still going to draft. Caleb Williams kind of reminds you of the old uh, – Time the Colts picked John Elway. He was never going to play there, and they eventually traded him uh, to the Broncos, and the rest is history. 
So Marvin Harrison Jr. is linked in this draft. Um, this is the Don Parr 2024 NFL Mock Draft 1.0. You got uh, Patriots linked to Marvin Harrison Jr. Bill Belichick is gone. It's a new era in New England. Atlanta Falcons getting a quarterback out of LSU, Jaden Daniels, at number four overall. And uh, then you got, um, wow, this particular mock draft, the par mock draft, has uh, the Chargers actually taking an offensive tackle, Junior Joe Alt, uh, out of uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame had a very good football team. They didn't win all the games they wanted, but they looked very, very strong at times during the 2023 college football season. And again, this is the um, this is the Dan Barr uh, mock draft, and and he's got uh, Atlanta taking Jaden Daniels at four, Chargers at number five taking Joe Alt, offensive tackle out of Notre Dame, number six. Malik Neighbors, a junior wide receiver out of LSU, would go to the New York Giants, Tennessee Titans. And I'm not going to be able to pronounce this guy's name. Offensive tackle, uh, Fashanu. First name is Alo Mulawa. Better stick to the last name, Fashanu. Might not even be saying that right. Junior uh, offensive tackle uh, out of Penn State, Tennessee Titans would take him with pick number seven, offensive tackle out of Penn State. So we continue along. Uh, Number eight, Arizona Cardinals. Um, By the way, when you talk about the Titans grabbing that offensive tackle, that's certainly to protect Will Levis, who's a, you know, the coffee-drinking mayonnaise cream guy that's going to take – that's going to need some protection at offensive tackle. Um, so that's why the Titans would grab the offensive tackle at a Penn State. We we don't want to go through all this understanding why this team's taking this guy and that guy. Arizona, Rome, a Dunsey wide receiver, senior out of uh, the Washington Huskies at number eight for the Cardinals. Cardinals got a long way to go to get back into contention. Chicago Bears got another pick at number nine. Uh, Dallas Turner, Alabama edge rusher, a junior. Could go to Chicago, the Bears at number nine. Again, we're kind of looking at this mock draft to give you an idea who the top players are. J.J. McCarthy, how about this? Las Vegas, is J.J. McCarthy that good a quarterback out of Michigan to the go number 10 overall? What's your opinion on that? They did win the, you know, they did win the national championship. J.J. McCarthy, the junior quarterback out of Michigan, goes to the Las Vegas Raiders. There's going to be some trades. Uh, this. Uh, this par draft is saying projected trade with the New York Jets. Uh, let's see, Minnesota Vikings take uh, Jared Verse, senior edge rusher out of the Florida State Seminoles. Number 12, Cincinnati. Wow. In this particular draft, the Dan Parr mock draft, they got Bowers, Brock Bowers, a tight end out of Georgia, the junior out of Georgia going number 12. The earlier mock draft with Sports Illustrated had Bowers going number five to the Chargers. So Mad Max, our Georgia Bulldog football insider, take note to that. It looks like Bowers could go anywhere from five to 12, but he's definitely an early first rounder. Uh, Jets making a trade. They uh, get offensive tackle Buaga 
out of Oregon State, an offensive tackle, a senior who, you know, played out his full eligibility. He was a senior offensive tackle out of Oregon State. You like a guy like that that's played a lot of college ball. Pick number 14, New Orleans Saints taking offensive tackle J.C. Latham out of Alabama. Out of Bama. Um, so New Orleans wants some offensive line help. A lot of teams know the value of getting some some good guys on the offensive line. Indianapolis Colts take, uh, and this is a little bit different because uh, in uh, one of the earlier mocks we saw, I believe what Sports Illustrated had the cornerback out of Toledo um, taking 15 by the Colts, Quinion Mitchell out of Toledo, the cornerback 15 taken at number 15 by the Colts. However, they got they got the Colts taking, how about this, Turton Arnold, cornerback out of Alabama, sophomore, red shirt. I guess that RS is red shirt, sophomore out of Alabama. Indianapolis Colts projected to Indianapolis Colts at number 15 in this uh, uh, Dan Parr. Did I say Don Parr? Dan Parr draft, uh, mock draft. So we're moving along to this mock draft, and we'll try to be as quick as we can. Um, they're projecting a few trades, Denver to make a trade, the Jets to make a trade. But typically, we're looking at the players to see who the top players are drafted. Brock Bowers at number 12 for Cincinnati. Jets with Talese uh, Fuaga, offensive tackle um, out of Oregon State. Number 14, got the Saints with J.C. Latham, offensive tackle out of, out of Alabama. So some offensive tackles, perhaps – you get a run on offensive tackles at uh, number 13, number 14, and then at number 15, the Indianapolis Colts do pull the trigger on a cornerback out of Alabama, Terion Arnold. Uh, number 16, the Seattle, uh, Seattle Seahawks grab Troy Fautenu. Fautenu, offensive tackle out of Washington. That's kind of a local angle there with uh, Troy Fautenu, uh out of Washington. Staying right there in Seattle to be the 16th pick overall of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Then we got, man, I tell you, this is amazing because there was a mock where the Jaguars got Michael Hall, a junior out of Ohio State, a defensive tackle. And now I'm liking this mock draft even less because uh, this Dan Parr guy is picking Brian uh, Byron, Byron Murphy, the second defensive tackle out of Texas, a junior He's got them link. He's he's got uh, Byron Murphy, the second defensive tackle out of Texas, linked with the Jacksonville Jaguars at seventeen. Uh, how about Denver? Denver Broncos picking eighteenth, and they grab Bo Nix out of Oregon. Man, that guy played a half dozen years or more of college football. Bo Nix. Um, Bo Nix uh, projected to be drafted by a shrewd head coach. And Sean Payton with Denver now moving into his third year as a head coach. Denver picking 18th and taking Bo Nix. There's been some projected trades with the Cincinnati Bengals earlier in the draft with the Jets, according to Dan Parr. I mean, anything is possible. You're basically making predictions and listing who the top guys are and that they're going off, you know, that they're going off the board at particular times depending on the team's picking, but these are all first-round guys. We're not going to get into the second round. Uh, Latu, uh, 
Lalitu Latu, UCLA Edge, going to the LA Rams at number 19. Number 20, the Pittsburgh Steelers grabbing offensive tackle Tyler Guyton uh, out of Oklahoma at pick number 20. 21, the Dolphins grab a guard. Now, there you go, a guard. Or is that a center? Um, it, it looked like a G at first, but it's actually a C. Jackson Powers Johnson, Oregon center. And there's been a lot of people on social media talking about this guy, perhaps going to the Jaguars. But if the Jags don't grab him at 17, looks like the Dolphins will at 21, according to Dan Parr's mock draft. Dolphins picking 21 and grabbing Jackson Powers Johnson, center out of Oregon. And then in this draft, this mock draft, you got Quinlan, I should say Quinion Mitchell, the cornerback out of Toledo, going a little lower at 22. Cornerback, a senior out of Toledo. Quinion Mitchell going to the Philadelphia Eagles at 22. 23, the Houston Texans, who had really a good year. Let me get this name right. Nate Wiggins. This guy is Nate Wiggins, cornerback out of Clemson, a junior, going to the Houston Texans, according to Dan Parr's mock draft at pick number 23. Dallas Cowboys, they need some more talent, right? Uh, This guy, Graham Barton. Graham Barton. uh, Inside, outside. um, Gosh, Graham Barton. Let's take a look at, um, you know, let's, let's actually take a look at Graham Barton and what position he plays, because sometimes in these mock drafts, they get kind of creative with, with uh, positions, right? Um, let me pull up Graham Barton. Um, Graham Barton has been linked to the Packers in mock drafts and other mock drafts, not the one we're looking at here. Um, Graham Barton. And apparently the uh, Duke had some pretty good offensive linemen. He's actually an offensive tackle. Uh, Graham Barton, an OT, an offensive tackle. And there's a, I mean, there's a run on tackles in absolutely in these mock drafts. This draft with, um, you know, with uh, Dan, uh, the guy, Dan Parr, we're talking about. This is one of the, I believe this draft is linked with NFL.com as well. Philadelphia Eagles taking uh, Quinion Mitchell at number 22 cornerback senior out of Toledo. Then we got the Houston Texans, Nate Wiggins, uh, cornerback out of Clemson, junior out of Clemson, going with the Houston Texans, the pick coming via Cleveland. Dallas Cowboys take uh, Graham Barton. He's an offensive line guy, offensive tackle. Boy, the Cowboys have always been good at getting offensive linemen. Green Bay Packers, Cooper DeJohn, Cooper DeJean, a cornerback. A junior out of Iowa, Cooper DeGene, cornerback junior out of Iowa, Green Bay Packers at 25. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Chop Robinson. How about that for a name? Pork Chop Robinson or just Chop Robinson. Edge rusher out of Penn State, a junior, going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at number 26. Then you got Amarius Mims, brother Mims. Amarius Mims, uh, Georgia offensive tackle, junior. Going to the Arizona Cardinals at 27, and the Cardinals, they got a lot of picks. 
and they need to take advantage of them because they're kind of gone but not forgotten. They had a terrible year. Arizona, probably one of the – they got a little competitive, it seemed like, a little bit more competitive toward the end of the year, but they were basically one of the worst teams in the NFL on paper, like the Carolina Panthers. The Carolina Panthers kind of traded themselves out of it in some respects, but – Arizona Cardinals in the Dan Parr draft predicted and projected to get uh, the Arizona Cardinals projected to get Amarius Mims out of Georgia offensive tackle with pick number 27. Did I overrun some of this stuff? Let's go back to where we were. 27, the Cardinals getting Amarius Mims offensive tackle out of Georgia. So I know our Georgia Bulldog football insider, Mad Max, will take notice of that. He may never. He may never even see Arizona unless he's going there on a road game. But in this mock draft, this particular mock draft, it says the Arizona Cardinals may draft Amarius Mims with a 27th pick overall offensive tackle junior out of Georgia. Buffalo Bills, man, I've seen this guy mocked to Buffalo in two different mock drafts now. Brian Thomas, Brian Thomas Jr., LSU wide receiver, junior out of LSU mocked to the Buffalo Bills at 28, and this is the second mock draft I've seen him mock to Buffalo. 29th, uh, let's see, cool, here he is, and he's dropping a little bit, JC. Maybe uh, some people heard your comments that I gave out that you you, you texted me. Kool-Aid McKinstry goes 29 overall. Out of Alabama, the cornerback, a junior, Kool-Aid McKinstry and JC kind of thinks he's a little not a first round pick in his opinion, but pick number 29, Detroit Lions take cornerback Kool Aid McKinstry, according to Dan Parr's mock draft. Number 30, the Ravens take a wide receiver, Keon Coleman, out of Florida State, the junior out of Florida State, Baltimore Ravens taking him at 30. And San Francisco taking Darius Robinson, defensive end. A senior out of Missouri defensive end, Darius Robinson, would go to San Francisco at 31, according to this mock draft. Kansas City Chiefs, who have been drafting very, very well over the last decade, five to ten years, last decade or so. Kansas City Chiefs take uh, at number 32. They won the Super Bowl. They got the last pick in the first round. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs take Devontae Walker, wide receiver, a senior, out of North Carolina. That is the mock draft to all 32 picks of the first round. And again, that is actually Dan Parr. Dan Parr, original content editor of Draft Strategy. Uh, Dan Parr giving you the 2024 NFL mock draft 1.0. And we did take a look at Dan Parr's draft here on the Teal shirt report podcast so we appreciate you listening in we've got north florida entertainment coming up as well we've given me given you a lot of information on the upcoming draft which is coming up in late april the mock drafts are going to change can you imagine after free agent frenzy in march the march the free agent frenzy ends around what um mid probably mid-march or toward the early mid part of the month. Um, 
And then once free agent frenzy has kind of been the books in mid-March or so, then you're going to have the draft in late April. And basically, free agent frenzy is going to kind of, in some respects, set up the draft in late April. So bear that in mind. Depending on who these individual teams get in free agent frenzy, that's going to kind of set the table for their draft. The mock drafts will probably change a good bit from February to March and especially in early April before the late April draft in 2024, I should say. If I said 2023 earlier, I apologize. We're talking here in 2024. It's February the 17th of 2024. We're talking mock drafts in the NFL draft in the year we're in now, 2024. We'll take a look at North Florida Entertainment. Um, Any kind of other info we get, uh, we'll Take a look at it. Rainy weekend in Jacksonville and North Florida, about a 60 to 90% chance of rain, depending on where you are in North Florida and surrounding areas on this weekend of February the 17th and Sunday, February the 18th. North Florida Entertainment. Take a look at the Iceman, too, as the Teal Shirt Report podcast continues. Thank you for listening. This is episode show number 10, season number five. We put out a question uh, a little bit earlier, and we will probably answer the question. Well, we tried to kind of answer the question ourselves, but we did. We do have the question up on our BigJReport.com, in our BigJReport.com Facebook group. You can chime in on it, too. Can the Jaguars get to the Super Bowl in the next two years? We may talk more about the results of that uh, question we're asking in the BigJReport.com Facebook group. Um, we may answer that toward the end of this podcast or more more than likely on episode show number 11 coming up on the next one. We'll take a look at some uh, some concerts. I understand, you know, the Rod Stewart show kind of snuck in on me. Uh, John Waite. Was in Jacksonville too on John Wheat was in Jacksonville, what, February the 16th, I believe. And we did not get that up on the listings, but we get most of the shows up on the listings, especially shows I would recommend or shows I would even even like to see myself. Um as far as let me take a look here. The John Wait show was at the Florida Theater. Um, John Waite was at the Florida Theater, you know, from the Babies. He he originated, I believe, in the group The Babies, then went on his own in solo, had a solo career, great solo career, a lot of number one hits. And John Waite was in Jacksonville at the Florida Theater on February the 16th. So that show was come and gone. I got the word that Rod Stewart uh, is at Daly's Place tonight on Saturday night, February the 17th. Obviously, if you listen to this podcast after Saturday, February the seventeenth, he's kind of he's kind of come and gone, right? Would you say? Um, 
But it's great that these guys have been coming into town. Rod Stewart at the Daily's Place on Saturday night, February the 17th, 8 o'clock p.m. show. Rod Stewart, February the 17th. John Waite was at the Florida Theater, February 16th. That show was come and gone. But we'll take take a look at some shows that are still kind of on the way. We mentioned Rod Stewart in concert tonight or this Saturday night, February the 17th of 2024 at 8 o'clock p.m at the Daly's Place Amphitheater in downtown Jacksonville, Florida, located right next to Everbank Stadium in downtown Jacksonville, Florida. Also, ZZ Top is performing on March the 5th of 2024 at 8 o'clock p.m. at the Florida Theater in Jacksonville, Florida. That's going to be the Elevation Tour. I just added that into the Neighbors 2 section. It's known as the Elevation Tour. Uh, the Starship featuring Mickey Davis at 7.30 p.m. on March the 9th of 2024 at the Thrasher Horn Center across the county line in the Clay County in Orange Park, Florida. That's uh, not too far from the Duval Clay line. So the Thrasher Horn Center will host the um, Starship show. That's a Starship featuring Mickey Davis at 7.30 p.m. on uh, March the 9th of 2024 at the Thrasher Horn Center in Orange Park, Florida. Uh, The group Widespread Panic will be performing in St. Augustine for three shows, three consecutive nights on March 22nd, March 23rd, and March 24th. That is the group Widespread Panic. I I have never really been a fan of Widespread Panic, but whenever I've heard one of their songs, so I've never been a fan or a proponent of them, but I have nothing against them because whenever, whenever I happen to hear one of their songs on the radio or on YouTube or anywhere for that matter, I've always liked their their songs. If, you, if you're a fan of Widespread Panic or just want to check them out, the group Widespread Panic uh, will be performing in St. Augustine, Florida for three nights and three shows. Uh, starts March 22nd. Continues on March the 23rd at 7 o'clock p.m. when the show starts. And then on March the 24th, on Sunday, March the 24th of 2024, the last show will be at 6.30 p.m. on the first two nights. Uh, The show's at 7 o'clock p.m. and then at 6.30 p.m. on Sunday night, March the 24th, on the final night of Widespread Panic, the, the group Widespread Panic, the music group Widespread Panic in uh, St. Augustine, Florida at the St. Augustine Amphitheater. Um, we told you about Rod Stewart being in Jacksonville at Daly's Place on Saturday night, February the 17th. If you're listening to our podcast after February 17th, obviously he's come and gone. But there's another Stewart. I don't I don't even I don't think they're related or anything like that, but musically they're you know big time guys in the music business. Al Stewart. Al Stewart uh, from you know, back in the day, uh, the year of the cat fame, he had a song called, what was it, the year of the cat, Time Passages, just another song on the radio. Al Stewart performing and will be performing at the Ponte Vedra Concert Hall on Saturday night, March the 30th of 2024 at 8 o'clock p.m. That's in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida at the Ponte Vedra Concert Hall on Saturday night, March the 30th of 2024 at 8 o'clock p.m. for Al Stewart in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. 
Uh, here's a good one. Hootie and the Blowfish, uh, several weeks down the road, actually a few months down the road, Hootie and the Blowfish on Friday evening, September the 27th of 2024 at 7 o'clock p.m. at the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena uh, here in Jacksonville, Florida. By the way, we'll take a look at Jacksonville Iceman Hockey, how they're doing in the East Coast Hockey League, the Iceman of I've been playing some great hockey of late. We'll take a look at the Jacksonville Iceman as part of North Florida Entertainment. If I can get a score on the Georgia-Florida, Florida-Georgia basketball game up in Athens on Saturday afternoon, February the 17th, if we can get a score on that game, uh, we will pass it along, too, on the next segment of our podcast episode show number 10, season number 5 of the Teal Shirt Report podcast. And hey, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Keep it right here on the Teal Shirt Report podcast. I'm your host, Scott, and we'll be right back with more. Hey, oh my, got a uh, got a good one uh, in semi-pro football to kind of kick off the, uh, the late February start of semi-pro football. Whether you follow the EAFL or the XFL and USFL merging, the EAFL is one of the better semi-pro football leagues um, here in here in the country. Uh, most of the teams playing in um, the states of Florida and Georgia. And there's a game coming up you may want to check out. It's right here in Jacksonville, too. Check it out. EAFL, semi-pro football, getting kicked off uh, in just a few days in North Florida for teams. Some of these teams are North Florida, some in South Georgia. Two really good teams uh, playing here in Jacksonville at the SOS Academy at 6974 Wilson Boulevard here in Jacksonville. The Cobras. The Georgia Cobras, ranked number two in the EAFL, will be playing the Avengers. That's right, the Argyle Avengers. You know, they've been known as uh, known in a couple of different ways. Um, and uh, I get an update on the Avengers team. Uh, the Avengers, you know, the Avengers, the Argyle Avengers, uh, they have a fan page on Facebook as well. And um, they're putting out, hey, they're putting out some new material, it looks like. Let's take a look. Yeah, they've got, um, as of late January, they've got uh, hoodies, Argyle Avengers shirts. Check it out. Argyle Avengers fan page. The Argyle Avengers. um, Playing the Georgia Cobras. And this is going to be top of the line. How often do I say call something top of the line? Top of the line semi-pro football is going to take place in Jacksonville on February the 24th. Hopefully the weather will be better for the, for this game than uh, this Saturday, February 17th. Rain in the forecast today and Sunday. But next weekend, or depending on when you listen to this, this podcast, the Teal Shirt Report podcast on February the 24th, the Argyle Avengers. The Argyle Avengers will be playing the Georgia Cobras. 
And again, the game will be played on the west side of Jacksonville. Will be played on the west side of Jacksonville, Florida. Let me pull up the address for you again. You want to make uh, plans, if you get an opportunity, kick off at 6 o'clock p.m. on Saturday evening, February the 24th. I know a lot of these guys that play for these teams, Georgia Cobras, will play the Argyle Avengers at the SOS Academy Field or the SOS Academy Stadium, as, as it's known as. The address is 6974 Wilson Boulevard on the west side of Jacksonville, Florida in the 32210. Um, admission is $10, man. You can't beat that. And that's like back in the day prices admission, $10 to go see the EAFL game. And these are two of the better teams, Georgia Cobras versus the Argyle Avengers admission, $10. And you can take kids, uh, under the age of 11, they get in absolutely free in this EAFL semi-pro football game at the SOS football stadium. We'll talk Iceman. We'll talk Iceman. Um, Hopefully, we'll get the Georgia Bulldog Florida Gator college basketball final of the game going on Saturday afternoon up in Athens, Georgia. We'll do that in a moment as the Teal Shirt Shirt Report podcast continues. Episode show number 10. Okay, I told you guys about the EAFL semi-pro football game between the Georgia Cobras and the Argyle Avengers to be held at the SOS uh, uh, football stadium, SOS football field, on February the 24th. That game at 6 o'clock p.m. There's another EAFL semi-pro football game uh, featuring a couple of Georgia teams up and actually play near the Georgia-South Carolina border. They'll be playing... Um, at Hardyville, South Carolina, Rec Complex at that football field there. It'll be the Richmond Hill Broncos versus the Eppingham, Georgia Outlaws. Kickoff of that one will be at 7 o'clock p.m. on Saturday evening, February the 24th of 2024 as semi-pro football gets kicked off in uh, Florida and Georgia uh, here in late February. Hey, all of a sudden here on the Till Shirt Report podcast, it is now Sunday, Sunday morning, February the 18th, and we got the, we got the Florida-Georgia basketball score up in Athens. Florida came out victorious. Florida got behind early in the game and had to battle back, but uh, Florida won the game over a tough, stingy Georgia team coached by Mike White, the former Florida Gator coach. Florida did hang on and win the game up in Athens. The Florida Gators 88, the Georgia Bulldogs 82, the Florida Gators now 18 and 7 on the season. I feel like they're just a couple of wins away from uh, stamping their ticket to the dance. Georgia fell to 14 and 11. Maybe Georgia, you know, with two or three more wins or a couple more wins, maybe maybe Georgia gets into an NIT this year under head coach Mike White, and that would have meant the Georgia program's come a long way since that terrible year they had before Mike, before coach Mike White came in at Georgia. But again, the final score, the Florida Gators 88, 
the Georgia Bulldogs, 82. Um, Alabama must be just the strongest team in the conference. I mean, Texas A&M last week blew out Tennessee. Texas A&M beat Florida by a point. And now Alabama just destroys Texas A&M. Alabama put 100 points on the board against Texas A&M in the SEC. Alabama Crimson Tide, 100. Texas A&M Aggie, 75 in college basketball. In a game I watched in the uh, in the ACC, Georgia Tech, this was a pretty good basketball game. I think the two teams, I think they're they did both teams did not have a very good shooting day. However, it was a good game. Georgia Tech defeated Syracuse. Georgia Tech sixty five, um, and let's see, Syracuse had sixty. Georgia Tech sixty five, Syracuse sixty. And I think the difference was a couple of things. Georgia Tech was at home, had a really good home crowd behind them, and they shot a little bit better from three-point range. Otherwise, both the teams from field goal range, their field goal percentages, I believe, were both under 40% in this game. But Georgia Tech managed to outlast Syracuse in a pretty good game that I, I watched a good bit of the game. Georgia Tech 65, Syracuse 60. Uh, back into the SEC, it looks like Auburn, you know, they've, they've got 20 wins now. They picked up a win, a big win after they lost to Florida, but now they lost to Kentucky. Kentucky 70 and Auburn 59. So Florida 88 in college basketball, Georgia 82, Alabama 100, Texas A&M 75. Um, Kentucky beat Auburn, Kentucky 70, Auburn 59. Uh, Georgia Tech with a win, good win over Syracuse. Kind of snapped a little bit of a losing streak for Tech. Georgia Tech 65, Syracuse 60. And the Florida State basketball team just kind of mediocre this year. Florida State falls to 13-12. and 12. Uh, They got beat by the Duke Blue Devils at home. This was in Tallahassee. The Duke Blue Devils 76, the Florida State Seminoles 67. In college basketball, Florida State falls to 13-12 and 12 on the season. You're listening to the Teal Shirt Report Podcast. We will um, we will take a look at the SEC standings in uh, college basketball. Also, weather here in uh, Jacksonville, Duval County, and vicinity, North Florida, uh, rain chance up to about seventy percent at least in most areas on uh, Sunday. We had light rain often on most of the day Saturday, and we've already seen even even more rain. On Sunday now, the rain chance up to 70% or more in most areas uh, here in North Florida. We'll take a look at the uh, SEC standings in uh, college basketball. Alabama, man, a huge win over Texas A&M. Alabama 100, Texas A&M 75 on Saturday, uh, February the 17th. Florida Gators won. Big win for Florida because now Florida's 18-7, and seven, just a couple of wins away from that magical 20 that people say you need to get into the dance or get close to 20. 
think Florida is looking pretty good in that regard. But you take a look at the SEC standings now, and Florida has found something in the last month or so, or the last, say, you know, seven games. I believe Florida is like, what, six and one in the last seven games. So Florida's found some magic. Uh, their head coach, uh, Todd Golden, now in his second year, wins his second game over Georgia in the same season. Both games were close. Again, the Florida Gators with an 88-82 win over Georgia. Florida 88, <clears throat> Georgia 82, the final score. We take a look at the standings, and Alabama's at the top 10-2 and two with a, an SEC conference mark of 10-2. and two. The Alabama Crimson Tide atop the SEC with a 10-2 and two conference record. They're 18-7 and seven overall, while Tennessee is 19-6 and six overall, but 9-3 and three in the conference. South Carolina strong, 21-5, and 9-4 and four in the conference. Auburn, even though they lost to Kentucky, they're still at 20 wins, 20-6, and 9-4 and four in the conference. Florida all of a sudden has moved to, can you believe it, 8-4 in the SEC and 18-7 and seven overall. Kentucky, even with their win over Auburn, they're 18-7, 8-4 and four in the SEC, identical with Florida. Florida and Kentucky, um, actually split their their two games this season. Ole Miss having a good year, too. They, they got a shot of hitting the dance as well. They're 19-6. and six. Mississippi State kind of on the bubble looking out at 17-8. and eight. Texas A&M 15-10. LSU 13-12. Georgia Bulldogs are 14-11. and 11. You go all the way down to the bottom, and Missouri's really having a stinker of a season. Uh, Vanderbilt's 2-10 and 10 in the SEC, 7-18 and 18 overall. Missouri's 8-17 and 17 overall, and Missouri normally has a uh, better basketball program than that. Arkansas is 12-13 with a 3-9 SEC conference record. And when you think about it, you know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma and Texas coming into the SEC in the summer of 2024, not only does it affect football, but it's going to affect basketball as well. So we'll see what happens. That, my friends, is a complete look at college basketball around the SEC and beyond as, you know, Georgia Tech won from the ACC. Georgia Tech with a 65-60 win over Syracuse. Duke 76, Florida State 67. The Seminoles in the ACC fall to an overall record of 13-12. and 12. We will absolutely take a look at Jacksonville. Iceman Hockey. We'll take a look at the old 2023-24 um, standings. The Iceman now in their seventh season of hockey. And they've now got 30 wins. Can you believe that? The Jacksonville Iceman still hot. 30-15-4. That's a couple of more wins since the last time we spoke about your Jacksonville Iceman, North Florida's hockey team. Greenville, and, and Jacksonville's closing in on Greenville. Greenville Swamp Rabbit, 68 total points in the standings. The Iceman, 64, just four points back. They were six points back uh, almost a week ago. South Carolina Stingrays at 61 total points in the standings, but the Iceman fully entrenched in second place in the Southern Division of the East Coast Hockey League. Florida Everblades in fourth. With 57, we mentioned the South Carolina Stingray, 61 total points in the standings in third. Florida Everblades at 57 and fourth. 
Orlando Solar Bears, 56 total points in the standings and in fifth place. Uh, Savannah Ghost Pirates have got over the 40-point mark. Not having a great year, but at least for them, they're out of the cellar. The Savannah Ghost Pirates, 18 and 26 and 4 with 41 total points in the standings. And the Atlanta Gladiators have really had a subpar year up around the Atlanta area. Atlanta Gladiators are now 17, 30 and 2. Can you believe that? 17 wins, 30 losses, two overtime losses, and a shootout loss on top of it. 37 total points for the Atlanta Gladiators in the basement of the Southern Division of the East Coast Hockey League. Again, Jacksonville, the Jacksonville Icemen are 30, 30 wins, 15 losses, and four overtime losses. As far as uh, scores, latest scores, um, or the Iceman, and they've won a couple of more games. I think last time we mentioned their record, they were at 28 wins. Now they're at absolutely 30 wins in the standings. We'll take a look at some of the latest results on Iceman Hockey, North Florida's hockey team uh, here in Jacksonville, Florida. Man, what a great family entertainment value. Take your kids, take your family, take your significant other uh, go Jacksonville Iceman Hockey at the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena. Still a lot of great hockey left. We're in getting toward late February now. Um, we'll take a look at some of the latest results on the Iceman, how the game's finished up on the ice. Um, the Jacksonville Iceman latest game, they defeated Kansas City as they kind of went outside the division. The Jacksonville Iceman with a 5-3 to three win. Is that correct? Or No, no, no. I'm sorry. That was... Let's take a look. No, Kansas City. Kansas City lost to Wichita. 5-3. to three. The Iceman beat Savannah in Savannah. Okay. Let me get that straight now. The Iceman actually in their last game, February the 17th, and that was a Saturday night game, the Jacksonville Iceman 5, the Savannah Ghost Pirates 2. Kansas City did play. They lost to the Wichita Thunder. The Wichita Thunder 5, Kansas City 3. But meanwhile, the Jacksonville Iceman with a 5-2 win over the Savannah Ghost Pirates on Saturday night, February the 17th in Savannah. The game before that, which I believe was the 29th win for the Iceman. Yes, it was a 2-1 win over the Florida Everblades um, in Jacksonville. So there was a game at the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena here in Jacksonville. The Friday night, February the 16th game, the Iceman, the Jacksonville Iceman 2, the Florida Everblades 1. Then Jacksonville traveled up to Savannah to play the Savannah Ghost Pirates on Saturday night. The game was in Savannah, and the Iceman continued to light the lamp. The Jacksonville Iceman with five goals. At Savannah, the Jacksonville Iceman 5, the Savannah Ghost Pirates 2. So the Icemen win their 29th game on Friday night. And the Jacksonville Iceman with a 5-2 win over Savannah in Savannah on Saturday night, February the 17th, win their 30th game of their East Coast Hockey League 7th season in Jacksonville. The Icemen now with 30 wins. So congratulations to Bob Arablo. The coaches, the players having an outstanding season in second place 
in the Southern Division of the East Coast Hockey League. So that's our latest on North Florida Entertainment. A little bit of college basketball thrown in there as well. Rain chance has been up to 70% on this uh, Sunday, February the 18th. We saw significant amounts of light rain and more light rain on Sunday. So we saw a lot of rain, a lot of light rain on Saturday most of the day, and now we're getting more of that light rain and sometimes moderate rain um, here on Sunday, February the 18th in Duval County in Jacksonville, Florida. Rain chance now about 70% on Sunday, February the 18th, you know, for most of uh, North Florida and surrounding areas. By the way, we, you know, when we take a look at uh, that weather report, We'll take a look at some of the latest uh, weather right now as we close out the podcast. This is episode show number 10 of the Teal Shirt Report podcast. We'll leave you with a little bit of weather information. Uh, it's cool out there, too. The rain, the dampness and, and rain make it feel even cooler, a little bit chillier than the temperatures, I believe. Uh, rain still in the forecast, about a 70% chance of rain in Jacksonville, Florida, in Duval County. High temperature only getting up to around 54 in the afternoon. Um, You know, we're going to look for low temperatures now at night. Let's see, low temperatures at night are going to be in the 40s. Can you believe that? And uh, back to the high temperature, we could get up to near or close to 56 in the vicinity of 55 or 56 possible. Probably the highest temperature getting up to near 56 today. Tonight's low, a very cool 44. Winds picking up out of the north at about 5 to 15 miles per hour. And wind gust winds could get up to as much as 16 miles per hour. And again, we've had rain. Rain. We've had some rain on Saturday. And we've had more rain on Sunday, February the 18th as well. That's going to do it for the Teal Shirt Report podcast. We cover the Jacksonville Jaguars, try to make sense out of it all. Got a free agent frenzy coming up in March. The draft, the NFL draft coming up in in late April of 2024. I'll try to pull up the exact dates for the next podcast. We we as far as we'll pull up the draft dates in our next podcast uh, for late April or thereabouts. And I'll tell you, we we talked earlier in this podcast, we gave you some, even some uh, mock drafts. However close they are, and most mock drafts are not very close, especially when you talk about the entire, the entirety of the first round, the contest, people trying to pick exactly how the draft will go. All of a sudden, a trade will pop up and almost change the direction of the NFL draft, but that's things coming up. Free agent frenzy in March, the NFL draft in late April of 2024. Let me make sure I got the year right. And that's going to do it for the Teal Shirt Report podcast. I want to thank our sponsors, Saucerility and Capital, Lake Ufala Hits, the Mad Max Mix, Weebly.com. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much to our producers. The Teal Shirt Report podcast has been eloquently produced by our executive producer, JC. Also by Alex Nunry. And want to thank our contributor, correspondent, and supporter of our podcast, John Gaylor. Thank you so much, John. 
that's going to do it for episode show. This has been episode show number 10, number 10 of the Teal Shirt Report podcast, season number five. You guys have a great day and try to stay dry out there and stay warm. This has been the Teal Shirt Report podcast. I'm your host, Scott, and I'm out. Until next time.